Church, Charlotte. So good to see you all in the house of the Lord. First of all, let me just say this. If this is your first time, I'm so glad you took a chance on us. Uh, anytime you go to a new church, you're taking a chance. You don't know what you're going to get when you get there. Uh, thank you for taking a chance on us. If you're watching online, praise God to the pajama-wearing, couch-sitting folks. Blessings upon you. One of these days, we're going to get you in the house, and then it's just going to be its going to be good stuff. We love you. God bless you. Um, those of you who've been traveling, we have a ton of people traveling. We have a ton of people just uh, with obligations, a few people sick, praying for Pastor Don. He has got some kind of little um, attack of the enemy, let's call it, going on. <laughs> and uh, we're so glad to have the Udemarks back from their many travels far and away, taking over the world and all that stuff. And uh, it's always better when the Lord puts us back together. I'm so glad that God put me in your family and put you in my family. All right, so let's see. There's a couple things I should tell you about. Um, we are uh, encouraging all of you in this season of what High Church has traditionally referred to as the Advent, which that's fancy language for the holidays. Uh, that means you had to go to religious school or you grew up very proper. You talk about the Advent. Um, we just are celebrating uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in the holidays. And the promise was that uh, he would be God with us, the hope of glory. God with us, the hope of glory. And so the interesting thing is there's another way to celebrate God with us, the hope of glory, and that is to celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, the gift of God's presence with us. In the same manner, it's appropriate for us to celebrate God with us in the sense of the babe in the manger. It's appropriate for us to celebrate God with us in the sense of the gift of the Holy Spirit with us. The Lord said, I will not leave you comfortless. Can I have a big amen? But I will come to you. And so the Holy Spirit is with us. And I want you all not just to have a sense of that. I, I want you to have the promise of evidence that's shown in the book of Acts, primarily as uh, tongues, which there's a whole theology of the symbol of tongues uh, in the Bible. Uh, if you have never spoken in uh, tongues, uh, I want to, first of all, remind you that tongues is not the Holy Spirit, but it's one of the signs of the Holy Spirit, and it can be, it can be a, a real step change in the confidence that you have in God. If you haven't experienced that and you have questions, I want to give you um, uh, opportunity in the coming week to reach out to any of us on the pastoral team. We have so many events that you can be a part of. Uh, Monday night, Pastor Anthony hosts a breakthrough Bible study and prayer time on Tuesday night, Pastor Lisa hosts uh, specific women's ministries and related to that on Tuesday night. Uh, on Wednesday 
night, I do the kind of Wednesday night in the Word of the Lord. We do a more of a student-based study of Scripture. We all need to be students of the Word of the Lord. And on Thursday night, Pastor Don uh, leads in uh, spiritual formation and uh, doctrine. He teaches that. And many of you know about this. All of these groups are pretty good-sized. Um, and I just want you to know there's no excuse for you not having a point of spiritual connection during your week. Uh, and lastly, I host early prayer, 6.30 a.m., Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday and Friday. Yes, I sleep in like my wife on Wednesday. It's amazing. Um, oh, about the skiing trip. Um, so, yes, I just want you all to know <laughs> there will be video. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can't make a public announcement and then get by with no record. If you're going to make a public announcement, we're taking everybody to the slopes. As Sister Charla sings by going, Jesus, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make her, I'm going to have my big camera. I'm going to make her come skiing by me. And as she comes by, she's going to say, good morning, first church. Yes. It is spoken. Can I have a witness? That's right. All right. You're going next. No, no, no worries. All right. Uh, Revelation chapter number 18. I'm sorry for my uh, long remarks, but I had various things I wanted to tell you about. So if any of you have any questions about what it means for you to receive that sign of the Holy Spirit in your life, um, this would be a great week. Uh, next Sunday, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, pray yourself and begin that process of seeking. You always have to understand seeking. Uh, it is part of the process. Um, the Holy Spirit, the sign of the Holy Spirit is always something to be sought after. Uh, even the disciples tarried for 10 days until they were in dude with that uh, gift from above. Revelations 18, verse number one, a strange reading for the first Sunday of December, even so, dearly beloved, let us progress together with great confidence in our souls. Verse number one, and after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the whole the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye may not be partakers of her sin, and that ye may receive not her plague. And so I'm going to, for a little while, kind of take you on a journey with a rather odd text. I'm going to take you on a journey, uh, and let's just call it for a theme, let's just call it uh, in a strange land, in a strange land. Uh, I'll be uh, transparent with you. I wasn't planning on preaching this message today. I had to complete another message. I already had the graphics done. I was ready to go, and yesterday, the Lord began to deal with me, and he told, took me a completely different direction, and so I told my wife, I don't know, at 7.30 last night night, I said, honey, I have not been at this place in many, many a long month where it's Saturday night and I just know what the Lord has given me is not what I'm supposed to preach tomorrow. That's all I know. 
And so last night, I actually, uh, about 7.38, I just, I, I, I went back into my office. I plopped back down with um, uh, a kind of beaten slump. All of you who un- should understand what I'm talking about when I say that, I didn't have a plan. And I started from that point, and I want to take you on a spiritual journey if I can. Uh, the Word of God, I, I want you to know this. All of you should know this because it's important to how you uh, share the gospel in your life. All of us should understand that the Bible is given to us not as a, collect- a collection of doctrines, but as a collection of stories. Um, no one will remember your doctrines, but they will remember your stories. This is so important um, because oftentimes when we interact with other people, we think we have to give them doctrine, and that usually is wrong because they aren't usually at a place where they're ready for our doctrine. What the Bible teaches us to give is our stories. You give your testimony. Every time you feel yourself caught in a situation where you want to debate with someone, stop yourself and ask yourself, are you a mentor from them and to them, and will they receive your advice, even if it's good advice? And a lot of times you'll find out that people are not at a point where they will receive what you think. So I hate to be so ugly today, but let me say it this way. If they're not ready to receive what you think, that's another fancy way of saying it doesn't matter what you think. You see, that is where so much of the religious world expends all its energy trying to tell people answers to questions those people aren't asking. See, I've helped you go forth, thou art healed. Uh, I want you to see this because we are called to spiritual effectiveness. You have purpose. One of the things you will hear at this church over and over and over again. In fact, I have people make fun of me about this. I'll tell you, first of all, that God has a purpose for your life. And I'll tell you, you ought to believe that you can make a difference in your world. And now it's not just me. You talk to anybody on the team. All of us are like hitting you over the head with this idea. God has a purpose for you. God has a calling for you. Let yourself have a sense of purpose rise up within you and begin to believe that you matter. God intentionally gifted you. God intentionally chose you. God intentionally placed you. You ought to believe you can make a difference. So that's the cliff notes on my message here today. If you get nothing else, I want you to walk out of here with that, that God has an intentional work that you can do. He does not need you to be perfect in order for you to start doing it. In fact, if you do it well for the whole of your life, at the end of your life, you still won't be perfect. So stop it already with that excuse. Mm, my God. So uh, here, here we are in this reality of um, this trying to be effective. And if we try to answer 
a question they aren't asking, it doesn't matter what the answer is, and it doesn't even matter if it would help them, they're not ready for it. Um, one of the hardest things about uh, having a generational change from uh, grandfathers to fathers, fathers to sons, and the cycle repeats over and over again, is to learn. It's so natural. My son's not in here, so I'll pick on him. It's uh, If I'm not careful, I'm always telling my son what to do. I'm always telling him what to do. And he's at the point where he would rather do it himself and figure it out than have me once again, dearly beloved, tell him how to do it. So now I'm trying to learn. I'm not near as good as some of you dads have learned to be. I'm trying to learn to give him the chore and not tell him how to do it and not go crazy when he flops around in a horribly inefficient manner. Um, so I am. So it is. If we we're trying to give doctrine, and people won't even remember our doctrine. What do they remember? Look at the example of the Bible. They remember your stories, and that is why you are called not to be a teacher of the law, but a simple witness of what God has done for you. Tell your story. It's powerful. Tell your story. It's powerful. Elbow your neighbor. Say, tell your story. It's powerful. Quit trying to control what people think. You don't get to control what they think. Stop it already. Again, elbow your neighbor. Say, that part was for you. Quit trying to control what people think and simply tell your story. You are like the man healed of blindness. And there's 97 different opinions of Jesus. uh, And they finally ask him uh, about his story. And he says, all right, let me settle this once and uh, finito. It's going to go like this. Whether he's a devil, I don't know, and I'm certainly not interested in arguing with any of you religious prideful bunch. This is what I know. I once was, is there any apostolics in the house? I once was, is there any apostolics in the house? I once was blind, and now I see. You leave your story, you leave your story, you leave your story, you leave your story. I'm not trying to control what you think. This is my story. Jesus made my world come together. It was pieces, and he somehow began to put it back together. Yeah, there's still some cracks, but you should have saw me a few years back. God's putting me together. No, I'm not fancy. I'm not pretty. I'm not religiously uh, glorious in any way, but I'm going to tell you my story. Without God in my life, uh, you have no idea of the stuff I'm capable of. And so we tell our stories, and those stories make a difference in the world. And so when I go to the Bible now, um, and I, my, my job, just so you know, I know I have a title of pastor, um, and since we have more than one pastor, I am the lead pastor. I don't know exactly what that is, but that's what I am, and I own it. I'm the lead pastor, and, um, uh, you know, I, uh, my real job goes like this. I try to take this stuff in the Bible and communicate it in a way that you can apply into your life and you're made richer for listening to me. There's really no other reason to be here. I, I need to take the word filled with this treasure and try to make you rich with the word of God. And so I, I can teach the Bible many different ways. Sometimes, and I have, I've been preaching two to three times a week for nearly 30 years. That's a lot. Um, I'm a little bit tired of myself and um, that's how the world works. So um, here, 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 I 
can present you a doctrine. I have preached doctrines. I've done series on doctrines, and uh, two months later, I have somebody ask me a simple question, and they were there the whole time. Um, And and they're not dumb. They're intelligent people. It's just our brains kind of, uh, we grab and then let go. We grab and then let go. We grab and then let go. If you need it, you grab and hold on until you don't need it, and then you kind of let it go. You know, so when your kids tell you you're not going to use anything you learned in school, say, well, forget about what you learn and show me you know how to learn. My God. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I've been missing you guys. So um, I give a do- it, it, People don't. The Bible gives us story after story after story, and the story lives even as your application changes. Even as you, so I can tell the story as doctrine. I can tell the story um, as a list, a type of formula, kind of like the opposite of self-help. Let's think of it as Bible help. I apply this formula, Bible help, you see. Um, But the ultimate end of it all, the thing that survives is the simplicity of the story. And when we read here in Revelations, which admittedly is an odd text for the first Sunday in December, when we read here, uh, you have this moment, it's a spiritual image, and it's told to us as a narrative, as it's like a tale, as a narrative, but it's prophetic, it is what will come. And there is this angel uh, representing the kingdom of God, sent by God, speaking with the voice of God, as it were, and he, he speaks over Babylon. What, what then would Babylon represent in the story? What would Babylon represent in uh, kingdoms of the um, ancient world very much have spiritual meaning uh, because they once were a kingdom, but in time they came to mean something. They begin to, here's a $3 word for you, to typify something. And so Babylon represents the empire, the glory of which this world is capable So let's say um, whatever it was you liked best in your teenage years, let's say for some of you guys, you dreamt of being a real athletic legend. You dreamt, and in your mind, when you were out playing basketball by yourself, you could hear the crowd screaming your name, and at the last minute, you jumped up, and in your mind, you slammed it, but you really just kind of laid it in because, you know, it takes time to, you know, be able to slam it in, and if I could slam it but in, maybe I'd be a ball player. Who knows, you know? Uh, maybe you were dreamt of athletic excellence. Uh, maybe you were one of those high school rockers who you had the, the mullet and everything. I know Slade was one of those guys because I was growing up. He was, uh, I was like 12. He was like 40. Um, no, just kidding. I was like 12. He was like 15. And he was a rocker. They wanted to be a rocker. And he'd take me over his house sometime. We go back. Y'all don't even know. We go back. I think Stephanie's the best thing that ever happened to him. If it wasn't for Stephanie, dude, you'd be dead if it wasn't for that woman right there. That's the truth. And so um, it's amazing how a woman can civilize a man. Can I have an amen from all the women? He took me over to his house. I was maybe maybe 11, maybe 12, and uh, we didn't live too far, and we walked over there, and he got up there. He had that long hair. He got his good tar out, and he started... Neighbors are screaming, turn it down, turn it down. Children are crying. My ears are bleeding. Uh, black, uh, windows all around the house have been broken. He, bang your head. I thought he was the coolest person who had ever lived. 
I thought if I could grow up and be like Slade, then mm, I would, you, you know what I'm saying. And so um, what was your dream? Was it athletics? Was it to be a musician? What is, let me say it this way, because I like to, you know, mildly offend you in the hope of expanding your brain. What was your idol that you worshiped? Did you dream of being the next jet set business titan flying around private? Because everybody knows private flight is the way. How do you know you've won? <laughs> do you fly private? If the answer is yes, you've won. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop sucking your thumb. Honey, you have won. And can the church say amen? The rest of us are shoehorned in like sardines at a three-day-old party where the power went out. Anyway. So... What am I preaching about? <laughs> How did I get going down down this lane? Do you remember? What was I saying? Oh, idols. Yes. That's Babylon. What's the best possible life? You see me use my glasses? I love doing that. That is so cool. What's the best possible life this world could have given you? That's Babylon. Wow. Would it be an athlete? Would it be a business rock star, an inventor, a titan of technology, an academic wizard, a scholarly person of great insight and boredom? What was your idol? That's Babylon. Um, and see, so the point is this. The best of what this world can offer is oftentimes a reflection of the false gods within us, that which in our flesh we would worship, that which in our flesh we would give ourselves to. You see, it's, it's hard for us uh, to give up our idols when they represent the unlived fantasy lives of our flesh. But here's what I want to tell you. Uh, that life that you venerated, that life that you idolized, would not have been enough for you. Because I can show you lots of people who got what you wanted, and they're brutally miserable. Some of them can't even bear the pain of existence because they got what they wanted. And now if they don't stay high or drunk or the equivalent, they want to check out on life because Babylon is not enough. It's the best. Yes, it's not enough. You see, it does not fit the manner of your creation. You are a unique being and you are made to orient yourself to something eternal and to catch the radiance of something eternal and to come to life as you are rightly exposed to something that makes your incomplete soul whole. You say, that all sounds too good to be true. Okay, well, if you don't want to listen to the philosophy of it, I would have you consider the testimony of everybody who got Babylon and how many of them die lonely and broken and hurting because Babylon is about impressing others, not finding your soul. To find your soul, you have to take a step away from Babylon and you have to consider the fact that your soul is more than your flesh. Your mind is more than your brain. So let's consider this moment, and I need to move along because I haven't been preaching from my notes all day. I've just kind of been wandering around, but that's okay. Uh, I want to try to round this up pretty quickly. Um, 
So here is the idea of the angel of the Lord calling to a place where they're together. Uh, the, the people of God are in Babylon. I want you to see this in the picture. And the angel of the Lord is calling them to come out of Babylon. They were always pilgrims and strangers, do you see? They never really belonged there. They never really belonged there. They were, they were always pilgrims and strangers. And the Lord's calling them out of Babylon. So let me take you to another picture of Babylon very quickly and have you consider the response of God's people when they find themselves in Babylon. That's where I get this idea of in a strange land. The story is told of the house of Israel falling at the, in defeat against the Babylonian army, and they are rounded up and taken en masse uh, to uh, Babylon. These people have never been to Babylon. Uh, they, they're not uh, the kind of nomadic travelers that would have seen it. They've never seen it, but they have seen Jerusalem, do you see? And they, 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 they have seen the Jordan River, and they have seen that thin strip of green that flows down following the course of the river from the source of water high in the snowy peaks of the mountains around Lebanon, and then down, and there's this strip of life, green life that flows through an arid land. That's what they've seen. That's what they've known. And they make this journey through a rather difficult country, uh, rather arid country, and they finally arrive at Babylon, which is made possible in its wealth because uh, it's on a river. It's actually at a junction of rivers. There's uh, wealth that flows through there, and we think of it as the Euphrates because that's how our geographical maps show this area of Babylon. Here is the Euphrates River, but here's the thing. They thought they knew uh, uh, what the wealth of a river could bring, but then they went to Babylon, and they discovered what they thought was a river was nothing to be compared to Euphrates. The Jordan River compared to Euphrates is like comparing the Catawba River to the Mississippi River. And uh, it's just, it's a totally different level of scale. Uh, the Jordan River in many places can be just walked across. It doesn't even get above waist deep in some areas. And some areas during dry seasons, it's just a trickle in places, do you see? But when you go to the Euphrates River, it is the kind of river that you cannot take animals across. You can't take some type of a cart across it like you can the Jordan River. There isn't passings and crossings. You have to find a way to make your way across on some type of a raft, a barge, a boat, a bridge, something. You, it's a different level. And here they are. We thought we were, we thought we had an army and we found out that we, that was a joke. We didn't last. Uh, we thought, we thought we had a river and we found out, huh, compared to these folks, we don't know what a river is. We had a watershed compared to these folks. We thought, we thought we had walls. And here we are, the joke's on us. This is walls. Babylon soars before them, glorious, profound. It encapsulates the early wonders of the world, the walls so wide, so high, so thick, they held chariot races on the tops of the walls. There, the seven, one of the seven wonders of the world is the hanging gardens of Babylon. Um, what, what do we mean by that? We don't mean 
the levitating gardens of Babylon. I thought that when I was a kid. We mean the hanging gardens. How do you make a hanging garden? If you were to go into your backyard and build walls of some type, retaining walls or something, and you built it up, you made an artificial mountain. Hear me. You made an artificial mountain. And there at the top of your artificial mountain, you built a garden. And you built it so beautiful and so perfect that you could stroll around your hanging garden. You could look at the rest of the world far beneath you. You could look at the normal folks down there, the peasants, the poor, the lonely, and you could stride through your garden in the sky and look down at the rest of the world. And here are the house of Israel gathered by the rivers of Babylon. They're looking at everything they had no clue actually could exist. And the Bible said that their captors asked them a song, asked them to sing. The captors were not looking to convert. They were doing a cultural exploration because this is what always happens when a people stops being a people and they stop believing. They turn into, watch this, a cultural oddity. And so a defeated people comes out to do a song and dance to show some part of their culture. And everyone else, in the kind of dismissive, demeaning manner of a person visiting a zoo, says, oh, interesting, interesting, how about that? And they then think that they are wise to the world because they appreciated something that was unlike them. But let me tell you something about the house of Israel. They don't want to be a cultural distraction in a kingdom of the flesh. They want to be their own people. They want to hold their own faith tightly in their arms. They want to live for something that's beyond them. And the juxtaposition of everything they would never have in this world, alongside with the cultural interest, a.k.a. irrelevance of their Babylonian captors, produces a moment of real self-reflection. And like an addict who has decided they're done, or like a spouse who has decided they're done, or an employee who has decided they're done, it's a human thing, the overwhelming insight over just, just crashes over them. They refuse to sing. Even though the Lord had given a promise through the prophet said, sing the Lord a song until the ends of the earth. They forget that scripture. They skip that one over. And rather than sing, they weep. You see, the first response to Babylon, the first response to Babylon is simply uh, to uh, mourn, to uh, toss your hands, to sigh and cry, to say, we'll never change our family. Our family's too crazy. I'll never get over that. I don't have the strength. I'll never be victorious over that part of my personality. I don't have the strength. I'm just going to sit down and have a good cry because Babylon is so much bigger than I could ever be. And the evidence is they do more without trying than I've ever done on purpose. I'm not going to sing the Lord's song in a strange land. I'm not going to make this moment of my defeat, if nothing else, a moment of spiritual surrender to God. I'm just going to sit here and cry. 
I'm here to tell somebody today, however defeated you walked in here feeling, the Spirit of the Lord would like you to know it's not over. Matter how discouraged you are with that sin, it's like the old time preacher preached a message. I was just a little guy. I used to listen. I loved preaching growing up. Uh, my mom always teased me because I would sleep through the singing and shouting, and then wake up for the preaching. Praise God! And uh, there's this preacher I heard preach years ago, just a little guy, and he preached this message entitled "The Sin That Wears the Golden Crown." What is the sin that gets you? That's the one that makes us want to give up. That sin that we fight over and over and over, it makes you want to give up. Just sit down and have yourself a good cry. Wash your hands and like Pilate, disappear in the back room as though justice can be fixed with a symbol. But I'm here to tell somebody, wipe your tears. Tell yourself that all along you had to trust in something bigger than you because if you had to be the solution, there was no hope anyway. But through God, you need to get back up, you need to dust yourself off, and you need to start all over again. Do not give up. I don't care if it's the 70th time or the 70th time, seven time. I want you to know, get up and try again. God is not done with you. Moving quickly, the second response of God's people in Babylon. Remember, in Revelation, it's saying, come out of Babylon. The rest of the time, we're stuck in Babylon. Second response. The first response is just despair. Second response is, if you can't beat them, join them. This is what a lot of the house of Israel actually will do historically. This is how they'll actually solve the problem. If you can't beat them, join them. If you can't beat them, join them. Maybe they do know how to live. Maybe they do have the answer for me. And so many church people make this mistake, and they allow the their religion to stop being something that is the encapsulation of all their dreams, hopes, plans, their whole person, and they let it be a placekeeper for tradition, not a path of spiritual commission. Don't have time to preach that. Moving right along. And so the idea is this folly. If you can't beat them, join them. Uh, This is what most of that house that wept by the river would eventually end up doing. Now, let me tell you the third response to Babylon. The third response to Babylon is shown best by uh, the picture of Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Now, let me tell you about them. They were uh, slaves. Do not miss that point. To be a slave is to have no sovereignty over yourself. Further, at the risk of making the story ugly, at the risk of making the story embarrassing, at the risk of telling the part I usually skip over because it is um, awkward for us, I'll try to speak in adult language so we don't have to explain any weird conversations later. Uh, The uh, captors did to them what a captor in that time did when they wanted them to never be able to have their own children. I'll let you fill in the blanks. Here are young men. There is no greater blow. You want to talk about having a right to be mad at God? You want to talk about a right to have a chip on your shoulder? You want to, ha- you want to talk about that? They have lost everything. And here they are. What are you going to do now? 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 
They never thought we can defeat Babylon. They weren't in competition with Babylon. They never thought that they would overcome Babylon. They didn't even have that in their mind. They decided this. We are not Babylonians. So what can we do to make a life choice statement to show ourselves and the world that we are of Yahweh? We are not of this Babylonian kingdom. And they looked around them and there was so much they couldn't do. There was so much they couldn't do. They didn't have their own temple. They couldn't go through temple worship. They couldn't go on the Sabbath and hear the, 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 the Levitical priesthood teach. They, they had none of the things that represented to their parents normal religious life. They had none of that. They've lost it all. But they say, we're not going to accept the fact that we can do nothing. I, I, wanna, I want you to see this. They're not going to accept the fact that they can do nothing. Can you go to temple? No. Can you have all of the life, the feasts, uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles? Can you have uh, the, the, the Passover? Can you do all of that? The answer is no, they're slaves. They have lost everything, but they decide. They are unwilling to settle with the reality that they've lost everything. And they ask themselves this, not what, what are we, not rather than making a list of what they can't do, they say, what can we do? And you know what they decided on? Oh, there's such hope in this message if you'll just receive it. We're just going to find something and we're going to do it for the Lord. We're not going to think about all the stuff we wish we could do and we can't do. We're going to find something. You know what that is for us? That meat offered to idols. We ain't eating it no more. Done with that. Finished. Finito. Oh, wait a minute. We're slaves. We can't even do that. We have to ask permission. Excuse me. Um, can we do something? Just something small. We're not asking to go to temple. We're not asking to offer a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. We're not asking to study the Torah. All we're asking to do, we're, we're, we want to do something to show that we're God. God's people. This is what I'd like to do. This is what I'd like to do. Let me just say something. The people, maybe I should say this to the people outside. Those of you who survey a person and look for one reason why they're not going to make it to heaven, you ought to read the Bible. Moving right along. What one thing can we do? What one thing? There's a million things we can't do. What one thing can we do? Let's ask permission. Let's ask for permission if we can stop eating meat offered to idols. And the, the master, he's like, ah, sketchy, not sure about that. You won't do as well as everyone else. You won't have any advantages. How are you going to compete in Babylon if you don't eat what the Babylonians eat? And they're like, let's just give it a shot. They have no power. But the story will not end with them having no power. The Lord's going to elevate them. I'm almost done. The Lord's going to elevate them to where they are at the highest seats of power in the Babylonian Empire. Where did it end? It ended at the top of the kingdom. Daniel particularly will end up serving three different kings, maybe four, I'm trying to remember, either three or four kings. As empires change, he will rise from the bottom to the top. But it all started with him saying, what little thing I can do. This is the right response to Babylon. Not impressed at what you can't do, but asking yourself the simple question, what's something I can do to make a difference where I am? That's the third attitude. There's not many of us, but we're going to do what we can. So let me ask you this, what can you do? I warned you uh, a couple hours ago when I started this message, I warned you that the theme you're going to hear from this pastoral team often uh, over and over is that you can do something for God. You can make a difference. You have 
people you can encourage. You have prayers you can pray. You can make a difference. But you look at all the stuff you're not doing, all the stuff you don't have. Yeah, yeah, I know. Wrong attitude for Babylon. A day's coming when we're going to be taken out of Babylon. But in the here and now, ask yourself this question. What can I do to show myself and the world that I have been bought with a price? What what can I do to show myself, my family, my loved ones, my world, that I am not my own. I am his. I am the sheep of his pasture. I am his and he is mine. Musicians, come, I'm done. I want to challenge every one of you to stop being impressed with Babylon and instead say, what can I do to show my God that I am a person who still holds to his promise? Oh, I know it's easy to compare the... The context to, you know, Babylon. I know it's easy to make excuses for myself, but what can I do? What can I do? It doesn't have to be impressive. It can just be, I'm not going to eat meat offered to idols. So what is your offering to God? Here's the interesting thing about God. If you'll start with something, God will give you something else. But if you won't start with anything, there's only two options. Either mourn your loss, number one, or number two, if you can't beat them, join them. Or here's the right response. I'm just looking for something I can do. I need to remind myself that I'm not just anybody. I'm a child of God. I've had the loss. I've suffered the loss of everything. You see, God's in the business of taking the individual I feel the Spirit of the Lord here today. I hope this is resonating. I I don't want to re-preach it. God's in the business of taking those kind of people. They don't even have authority to decide what they eat. They have to get permission. That's where God starts. And when God's done, kings are coming to Daniel saying, Would you help? I'm confused. Would you help? I don't know. I can't even understand my dreams. Would you help? It started. I don't even have permission to just start. But when God's done, the kings are coming. And so, how are you handling Babylon? Stand with me all across the house. I want to pray over you right now. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual here in this house today. I'm praying that this challenge would go forth into our spirits. And I'm praying that this this story, this example given to us in the word of the Lord would resonate within us and we would ask ourselves, what can we do? What then can we do? What difference can we make? We can't be... filled with a sense of our own inabilities when you've done so much for us, God. We have to just offer our loaves and fishes and see if you can start something great in your estimation, not in our estimation. You can do something good in your estimation, not in our judgment. Lord, honestly, we're in the business of casting our own confidence away most of the time. Most of the time, we're talking ourselves out of trying anything. We'll do something, and it's, it's, it's not good enough, big enough, impressive enough to get past our own negative voice. And so we quit because it can't even pass the negativity filter of ourselves. 
Lord Jesus, that is the direct result of vanity in our life. We think we are too good to have that result. And vanity does more for us or against to harm us, to hurt us, oftentimes than the enemy does to thwart us. But Lord Jesus, here we are. Here we are by the rivers of Babylon. We live in the greatest empire that the world, world history has ever known. We live in the richest empire that world history has ever known. God, first of all, save us from the delusions of this empire. Save us from the delusions of our own modern thoughts and our own modern wishes. Save us from that, God, and help us to see the eternal in the small thing we can do, that which is at our hand, that which is in our hand. In Jesus' name we pray. you lift your hands all across the house right now and you would say, Lord Jesus, I'm committing myself to doing what I can do in this moment. I'm committing myself to turn away from Babylon and what it offers as solutions. I lay down the idols of Babylon. I lay down the idols of fame. I lay down the idols of wealth. I lay down the idols of, uh, it never ends, Lord. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. I lay down uh, the vanity of it all. I don't believe my dream life would make me whole. I do not believe my wishes coming true would make me whole. I don't believe, that's all Babylon. What I seek in the here and now is to hear your voice saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Oh, right now, all across the house, would you lift your voices and call upon the name of the Lord? Would you commit your heart to the purposes of God in your life? Would you dedicate your spirit to the unction that is of eternal, the eternal voice of God, that leading of his spirit, that unction of his Holy Spirit that makes this life more than just 70, 80, 90 odd years, but makes it a veil filled with spiritual purpose and calling. In Jesus' name. I want to challenge you today to see what you can do. I warned you I was going to end with a challenge. I want to challenge you to see what you can do, what difference you can make. And I want to make an appeal from all the ministries of First Church. We are not a church that keeps people out of serving. <laughs> We're not a church that once you pass your seventh degree black belt, then we get you involved. If you can show up with a smile, we'll get you involved as soon as we can. Now, we're, we're not going to let you embarrass the church. Now, come on. I think you guys know what I mean. But if your heart is toward the things of God, we're going to get you involved. Every ministry of our church has opportunities, needs right now. And so I make an appeal to all of you. I want to, I want to tell you a story here. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast 
and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.